Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm joined on the podcast today by New York Times bestselling writer Charles Soule, <laughs> author of the new novel The Endless Vessel. Ping Shepard, bestselling author of The Cartographers, wrote about the novel. The Endless Vessel is a thrilling hunt, haunting mystery, and ominous prediction all in one. But most of all, it's a poignant reminder of what it means to be human, to despair, to love, and to refuse to give up hope, even in the final hour. In addition to his latest novel, Soul is the author of the Star Wars novel, Star Wars Light of Jedi. He is also the author of some of the most prominent comic book stories of the last decade for Marvel, DC, and Lucasfilm, including a groundbreaking run on Daredevil, the mega bestsellers Death of Wolverine and Darth Vader, and a run on She-Hulk that served as an inspiration for the Disney Plus television show. Charles, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, if someone hasn't yet heard about your new novel, The Endless Vessel, how would you describe the novel? Well, I mean, Pung actually did a pretty good job in that quote you just read. Uh, it is it is a, a big, sprawling epic with some science fiction elements to it uh, that is ultimately kind of a, a speculative fiction story about a, a group of, of people who, a couple centuries ago, found this incredible treasure. And, and the treasure that they found was essentially the secret to, to happiness. And they decided they were going to keep it safe and keep it to themselves. So they built a ship and they've been sailing on that ship ever since for about 250 years. And the, the protagonist of the story, whose name is Lily Barnes, she's a, she's a materials engineer, is British but lives in Hong Kong, uh, is, kind of gets wind of these people in a way. Uh, and she is operating in a world that has been affected by essentially a despair plague. So, so people are, are being afflicted with this malaise called the gray that is just dragging everybody down which I don't think is that uh, difficult to relate to for the world we're living in right now. Sure. Uh, and uh, she, she decides that she's going to find these people. And so it, it's sort of a treasure hunt for, for both this group uh, who, who are on this ship that's been sailing nonstop, but also a, a hunt for the secret to happiness, which uh, for me, again, I think is going to be pretty relatable to people right now. And I'm really, uh, I'm really proud of what it does, that the book is spans a lot of time there are historical elements to it it, it goes back in, in time and explores the origin of this well, society on the ship uh, but also is very of the moment it's set in literally you know the hong kong of right now and the england of right now and the america of right now and and is is hopefully very relatable to to anybody who's living in these crazy times we we're experiencing right now do you remember the original idea or impetus that led you to riding the endless vessel I do. It was it was the ship, uh, the the ship that never stopped sailing was an idea that I had years ago. I just thought it was really interesting. I'm a, I'm a big fan of Patrick O'Brien's novels, the the Aubrey Maturin novels, uh, Horatio Hornblower, anything with kind of sort of age of sail set stuff. I've always really liked, and so I wanted to take to to give my attempt to doing something like that with a you know a big sailing ship with three masts and the whole thing. Uh, but I also was very interested in in this moment in time. This is a pandemic book, uh, meaning it was written during the pandemic and the quarantine years. And so it 
it is directly approaching some of the things that I think we've all been looking at, whether it's, you know, human connection and, and what we're supposed to be doing with our lives and, and how we're, how we can move forward out of, out of times of great catastrophe and, and uh, difficulty. So it was really those two elements, the literal ship I just liked, I wanted to write about a ship and then, and then really trying to do an examination of this very strange moment we found ourselves living in. Well, as I mentioned in the intro, you're a successful comic book writer. You write your own novels. You've written a successful Star Wars novel. What was your initial writing journey? Were you writing stories and novels initially, or were you writing comic scripts? And what led you to your first publications? Sure. Uh, well, I've I've often been asked a question that that's basically a variation on that, and and I always tell people the start of my journey uh, was just to go to law school. Uh, because I went to law school and realized about, you know, about halfway through my third year that I might've made a terrible mistake. Uh, when I, <laughs> when I finished taking the bar exam, I took a break, uh, about, a, of about a month before I went and started working at the law firm where I had a job. And that, that month, like on day one, I went out and bought a notebook at, at the, the local bookstore so that I could start writing my first novel in, in longhand. So for me, it was just a realization that I might be on the wrong path and I needed to try to write myself out of it. Uh, I started writing that first novel, which I finished and completed. It took me several years because I was working as a baby attorney at the same time. It was very difficult to scratch out <laughs> the time to write a book simultaneously. But eventually I did uh, and then attempted to sell it. Uh, I got an agent, but the book ultimately didn't sell. And so I was, I was disheartened, I think, as anybody would be, but I also was still a lawyer, which is not exactly what I wanted to be doing. So I continued trying to write myself out of that career, started my second book. Uh, but at the same time, I started exploring a another field that I'd always loved that seemed to have slightly, both slightly lower barriers to entry and also uh, a faster timeline to creative output, which was comics. So when you're writing comics, you're not doing it by yourself. You're doing it with with an artist. Uh, and and letterer and colorist and and the whole team uh, and and comics is very it's not a total meritocracy but it sort of is and part of that is because you pick up a comic you can open it you can see if it's you know beautiful at at, at page one whereas a novel requires more investment of time and focus uh, but I so I started working on on comics so this would have been around 2004 2005 is when I started trying to do comics simultaneously with doing novels. And then I had my first comic published in 2009, and it took me another four years before I was picked up by DC Comics to start writing their book, Swamp Thing. Yep. Uh, and then, you know, the best way to start writing a Marvel comics is to get a job at DC Comics because they all, you know, <laughs> coaching each other. And so not long after that, I started writing at Marvel. Uh, a few years after that, I started writing for, for Lucasfilm, for Star Wars, and it's been, it's been just sort of, I've never looked back. And... I was able to use the profile that that writing high level comics gave me to get interest in my next novel, uh, which ended up becoming my first published novel, which was the Oracle Year that came out in 2018. So I think that's the journey, pretty much. I just really didn't want to be a lawyer. <laughs> and what kind of law were you doing when you were working as a lawyer? I started doing corporate work, so deals, um, sure, you know, mergers and acquisitions, and then that shifted over to immigration, which was what I was doing when I. Uh, found enough success in writing to be able to leave the law. So I had my own immigration practice. Got it. Well, you you mentioned that there was the first comic uh, script that, that got published, and then four years later, it was Swamp Thing. What was that first comic that was published? It was a book called Strongman. Uh, it was put out by a company called SLG, 
Publishing, um, which stands for Slave Labor Graphics. They're actually really, they're a very, very small publisher, but they were responsible for launching the careers of many really notable people who, be, who went on to become very notable in the comics industry. And so they have, they have a pedigree, but they're very, very punk rock in a way. So they're like the CBGBs of comic publishers. Sure. And so my book, Strongman, uh, was about a, a washed up Mexican luchador who was living in, in New York City and kind of was was drinking his days away and and didn't know what had become of himself and and it's his his kind of last rodeo so it's it's an old dude on a mission uh story that i'm still very proud of i think it really i think it was great but it sold hundreds of copies uh if, <laughs> if that it, it, i mean i think it did i think all, all in all it was it was around 500 which is is not a lot but if the right people are among that group of 500 then you can you can make something with it. Sure. And so the advice I always give to people whenever they're trying to enter any sort of field of business creatively is that you're on a ladder and you have access to the people on the rung you're on, the rung below you, and the rung above you. And you can use that to try to get to the next rung and to the next rung and to the next rung. And if you focus on those people that you actually have access to, every once in a while, something amazing comes by and somebody 10 rungs up the ladder takes notice, but it's not something you can depend on. So Strongman sold 500 copies, but that gave me access to other people who are also trying to get their stories out there. And so I, I started to create a network and I had friends and people I would support and they would support me. And eventually one of those people put me in touch oh, with yeah. somebody who was able to look at my second book, which is called 27, and, and publish it through Image Comics, which is uh, one of the premier, I mean, not one of it, it is the premier place to put creator-owned comics, independent right. comics. So, so having that happen was a gigantic step forward for me. And it really gave me confidence that I was going to be able to, to do it and I should continue investing time and money in it. You said that you started out and you were trying to write yourself out of this job as a lawyer and you were uh, writing novels and then you made the switch to um, comic books. When you made that switch, had mm -hmm. you ever seen what a, what a comic book script looked like? And what was that process for you to figure out? you know, just the basics of formatting and, and how to submit a comic book script. Sure. This, this was the early two, uh, not early mid two thousands. And so the internet was, was, was around. And so I was able to find there were, there were things like the comic script archive, which I don't think exists anymore, but there were places you could look to find how other comic writers had written their scripts in the past. Every once in a while, a comic might be published in a collected edition. It would have some of the scripts in the back. But beyond that, I was part of communities online and on message board communities, which were a big deal in, in that era of the internet. They've largely been replaced now by social media and Discord. But but back then, there was a there was a board called the Bendis Board, which was run by a very very prominent comic writer named Brian Michael Bendis, who was really generous with his his time and his focus in terms of mentoring younger creators and. Just like Slade Labor Graphics, that company that I mentioned before, SLG, the Bendis board and, and a couple of other different message boards that were active around that time ended up really launching the next generation of comics, significant comics talent. And so I was in really good company in terms of people who, who really had the chops to, to become big, but had to, had to build up their knowledge and had to, um, I suppose, had the potential. They didn't really have the chops yet. None of us did, but we, we worked really hard and supported each other and made a community that was all about trying to get our voices as comic creators into the world. And I don't I know that I would not have been able to do it without that community and the people there. So I'm I'm very 
and I'm still friends with many of them. Many of them have become my professional colleagues now, but I'm, I am still very grateful to everybody there, whether they went on to become comic creators or not for their time and their focus. And it was, it was a really, it was really special, just that community. That was a great resource for you. Well, I know that scripts are a very structured form. I'm curious how that carries over for you when you're working on a novel, such as The Endless Vessel, your new novel. Are you someone who does a ton of outlining and planning before writing the first word? I I think the answer is yes. I am a person who does a lot of longhand work before I start typing anything. So I will... If it's a comic, I have I have moleskins, moleskin notebooks that are dedicated to each title that I'm working on. And so what I'll do is is usually go sit at a coffee shop or sometimes a bar or someplace where I'm just away Good. from my normal setup and I'll just sit there and, and kind of blue sky it. So I will just sit there and think about, well, what would I like this story to be? How would I like it to go? Uh, and that that eventually drills down into a page-by-page breakdown of what happens on every issue, which then I turn into this. That's when I go to typing that turns into the script, but it is extremely rare, if not completely unprecedented these days for me to write a comic script without having done that notebook work first. So, so everything is always outlined, but it can be loose. I mean, I've written, I've written, God, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of comic issues at this point. And so thousands and thousands of pages. And so the, there's a, I have a mental shorthand, so I don't have to have every beat planned out. I just can be like, well, I know for yeah, these three or four pages, there's going to be this type of sequence or this kind of conversation, and then I'll, I'll, I'll figure it out when, I, when I'm actually in typing. But it's, it's more of a, a feel, uh, more of a, like a, think of a sculptor who has like a rough version of the thing that they're, they're sculpting, and then they'll go in with the fine chisel and, and make it all, all the detail work. So, so that's what the notebook work is like with, for comics. With novels, I... Novels are just, they're, they're bigger. They're infinitely more complex, as you would imagine. So, so the way that I handle it is I start, again, with a notebook. I have a notebook dedicated to every novel that I do. And I start really, really, really rough and loose. What am I trying to say? What is this about? What is the feel? Uh, who are the characters? I, I often break those things out in, in, into their own sections at the beginning of the notebook and, and just start fiddling around. And it, it can take a while. Eventually, though, I feel like I have enough stuff that I want to set it down so I don't, it doesn't become too unwieldy in my head so that I start forgetting some of the details or forgetting some of the insights. Uh, so then I use a program called Scrivener, which I, I know you talk to a lot of authors, and I'm sure this is not the first time you've heard that word. Um, Scrivener is a, is a really, really useful word processing program that is designed specifically to bring authors from their rough notes phase to a rough draft. And it, it has all these different bells and whistles and structurally it, it, it is just set up in my opinion very well to allow me to organize my thoughts and then start just putting it all together so that I have all my research in one tab and I have all my chapter breaks in another and my character list and it just, it just starts, to, starts to become a book at that point. And I work in Scrivener. I type every initial draft of every chapter in Scrivener. And then there's a big celebratory moment when I finished that and I export it to a Word document. That is, so, so the, the steps in my process are notebook, Scrivener, and then, and then we get to Word for the, for the, for the sort of edit process for the first really rough draft to the, to the second draft. Um, from there, it gets a little looser, but there is a consistency into how I've done this every time because 
I, I am just putting the finishing touches on my, I guess, technically this would be my sixth novel at this point. Um, so, and, and there has no. not been one of them that has not gone to at least five drafts, usually, usually six or seven, uh, sixth and seventh drafts can be tweaky, but, but they still exist. So what happens is I write that first draft in Scrivener, I export it to Word. I read the whole thing over. I'm like, wow, I really missed the mark on this. I need to do some surgery here. And then I start moving pieces around at kind of a high level. And, and that takes it to a second draft. And then, and then that's usually what I let other people read. They have notes and thoughts. That takes me to a third draft. And at this point, it can be pretty dramatic. This just between drafts. Uh, and then around the third draft is when I let my, what I call my stakeholders read it, which are my agent and my, my editor at the publisher, things like that. They have their thoughts. Uh, and, and the nice thing about that phase is that it often takes a little while for them to do it because they're very busy people. So I set it aside just by the nature of them needing to take some time to read it. And then they come back to, when, when they come back to me with their notes, I've also had a lot of time for it to putter around in my subconscious. So I put all that together and then I create a, a fourth draft. The fourth draft is often the, is this, should I keep going with this? I mean, I think this is what the podcast is supposed to be. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the fourth draft for me is that is always the most brutal, exhausting one, because this is the one where I essentially am rewriting the book from scratch. Uh, and what I mean by that is that everything is there. All the pieces are there, but I'm, when I do my first three drafts, I'm not as always totally as focused on perfect sentence structure or, uh, perfectly expressing ideas in the most poetic way. There are bracketed sections. There's all these things. But when I go from three to four is when I go in and say, okay, this is the book I need. This is the one that if I had to send it to be published, I could do it. And so it is really kind of writing a whole nother book from scratch. Almost uh, every sentence changes pretty much. And it, it is exhausting. Uh, but when that's done, I have, I have something that is, is close, pretty close. So by now we're on draft four, I have other people read it, fresh readers read it. Uh, they give me their thoughts. I go back in. This is when I, I usually around this time have the insight of, oh, this is what I was actually writing the whole time. And I decide what, what elements and themes I want to pull out, what characters I want to, I want to bring a little bit more to. So that brings us to, to draft five, which is pretty close to publication draft. And then I'm getting, at that point, I'm getting copy edits and tweaks and a couple little ideas occur to me here and there about things I can adjust and change, which takes us usually to draft six or seven, which ends up being published. So writing novels is incredibly labor intensive for me, but I think the results uh, hopefully speak for themselves. I've, I've always been very proud of every book I've written. That was, that was a very, uh, um, uh, thorough explanation. Thanks for that. So I, I just wanted to go back for a moment to your comic book writing. Um, when you're writing a run on a particular title or a particular character, um, very similar to TV, there can be a story arc over multiple issues. And as a writer, how are you doing that pacing and thinking ahead? Are you looking, are you breaking it down six issues ahead, 12 issues ahead? How does that tend to work for you? Uh, it, it depends on the assignment to some degree. I I think generally it's six issue arcs, but the there are stories that are designed as twelve issue stories from the beginning. There are stories that are designed as four issue stories, even two issue stories or one shots. And so it really just depends. At these days, I'm doing a lot of work in 
in Star Wars comics primarily. And so those, those often have set lengths that I know what I'm going to be doing ahead of time. So I just kind of, you know, if it's just like, if you're going to write a novella or a short story or a novel, you, you know, basically the, the size of the playground and you, you figure it out within that. Um, and I, it's an interesting thing because I can generally tell ahead of time how much story I have. And I think that's just honed from, from many years of telling story, basically sure. day in and day out in all these different ways. It's just like an inst- a musician who kind of knows how to, knows how to play their instrument. That's, that's how my story sense is. Right. Um, so I have a question. I'm not sure you'll be able to articulate this, but I wanted to ask it w- when you're thinking about writing about comic book characters who have been around for decades and have been written about for decades with numerous storylines, how do you as an author approach that to bring something to those characters and stories that is uniquely yours? Well, the first thing you do is you read as much, if not all of those pri- prior stories as you can, because the, that's the source material. That's what you're, those are the, the, the giant shoulders that you're going to be standing on. And when you do that, you get a sense of, of the runs that have become legendary and the runs that, that were a little less, um, you know, they they weren't as, as universally acclaimed, perhaps, as some of some of the really classic ones. And so it gives you a sense of what people care about with the character, what they will accept, what they will reject. And so that's sort of phase one. Uh, but phase two is okay, what what is unique about me that's gonna bring something to this character that's interesting that hasn't been seen before? A great example is Daredevil uh and and She-Hulk, two characters that I wrote for Marvel. Uh, they had never, they're both lawyers, but they had never been written by a lawyer before. So I put a lot of my own legal background into writing those characters and it, it creates a unique flavor to them that we hadn't really seen before, which I was, I'm very happy that I was able to do and got the opportunity to do that with, uh, with star Wars. It's, it's different because so many people have, have experienced star Wars over the generations that it's, it's. For me, it's about what questions haven't been answered. Uh, as if, so I think about it from the perspective of what is the thing about Luke Skywalker that in all of the Luke Skywalker storytelling we've seen, we haven't seen this question answered. And so then I, I, I go, I go look at it that way. Same with Darth Vader. Same with Chewbacca. You name it. Uh, and that seems to 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 generate pretty good results. And then obviously with my own stories, it's it's more what is the thing I want to put out into the world? What is the what is the the story that hasn't been told by anybody that I think I'm the right person. Well, as you said, you have written hundreds of issues of various comic uh, titles and characters. If you, if someone listening would like to check out um, some of your comics work, is there a particular run that you would point them to? Absolutely. I mean, there's, there's some really, really cool stuff in there. If you're a star Wars fan, I would point you toward, I did a run on Darth Vader with Giuseppe Camicoli on the art. Um, that is, is people really, really seem to like it. Uh, I'm also writing the Star Wars flagship story right now that I would recommend. Uh, beyond that, if you are a, a fan of Daredevil, I did a long run on that. That is also very well received that I think people really like. Um, I would, I mean, my She-Hulk run, people seem to really like that. I, I've been very fortunate that a lot of my work has been well received. Um, if you're an X-Men fan, I did a bunch of work in that zone with a bunch of stories with Wolverine uh, and, and the Astonishing X-Men. Which was which is all stuff I'm really proud of. Uh, outside of that, I I would recommend my book Eight Billion Genies, which just came out. It just finished up its run. 
It's eight issue run in May mm-hmm. and is coming out in a beautiful hardcover edition this July from Image Comics. Uh, I did a book called Letter 44 that I really think is great. Um, yeah, that's probably the list right now, but there's there's really a whole bunch. I have a, actually, I should say, I just finished another comic uh, with my friend Will Sliney mm-hmm. on the art called Hell to Pay, which is all about, it's basically a horror story where capitalism is the is the monster. And it's, uh, I think it's, I think it's good. I mean, I, I, I have been very productive in the last 10 years. I've written many, 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 many stories and I'm proud of all of them. And I'm happy that I've gotten to work with so many amazing artists and creative collaborators on on all of those tales. Well, given all of your work, both on comics and uh, novels, (laughs) what writing advice would you offer for those who are writing their own comic book scripts or short stories or novels? Well, do it, do it because you love it. Uh, don't do it for any particular, I mean, you can keep the goals in mind in terms of, well, I'd like to be a, I'd like to have a no- be a novelist for a job. I'd like to do, I'd like to make comics for a living. Those are, those are fine goals to have, but they're, they're very difficult to achieve. And even if you achieve them, what sees you through the, the really long hours and intense focus and, and challenges required to live a, a creative life are that you love being creative and you can't, it's impossible to think of living any other way. So I'd say start with that. Know that you love it. Know that you would make sacrifices to do it. Know that you would do it even if you weren't being paid to do it, uh, which is is really what what got me got me where I am, I think, is really this just that decision that I was going to do this no matter what. Um, I've been very fortunate in my career, but but ultimately it is something that I would do even if I wasn't as successful at it as I, as I am. I just love telling stories too much. So, so that's it. The other thing I would do is do your homework. Uh, this is not a field, whether it's novels or comics, that is, you can't just intuit it as much as, as you, as people kind of think they can. There's a friend of mine named Jim Zub, who is uh, another comics writer who gives, who gives great advice to up and coming creators. He often gives this, uh, example of, you know, you go to, a fancy restaurant and you you love the food and it's so good and so you go back to the kitchen and you say well wow you know i would like to be a chef here now because it, and and they'd be like what are you talking about do you have any qualifications <laughs> and you say well yeah i love the food i love eating food food is amazing and this food is really good so i want to be a chef here and that is kind of what it's like to assume that you're just going to be able to work in in marvel or dc comics or or even as a high level novelist or any of those things um, without putting in the hours and putting in the training and really learning the craft and not just the craft, but the business, because there are paths in and there are networks you have to build. And there are a lot of things you have to understand, just like you have to understand creating the work. You have to understand selling it. You have to understand marketing it and and promoting it. So, so it's a, it's a long path. I mean, I, 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 always, I gave that timeline at the beginning of this interview because I wanted people to to hear it. Uh, I, I started writing my first novel in the year 2000 and, and my first novel was not published until, uh, 2018. So it took set or 18 years for my first book to be published, my first novel. Uh, and I started trying to write comics in 2004 and I didn't actually have my first significant big two comic published until, uh, 2013. So that took nine years. So the road is long and I don't, I don't think that I was particularly slow. I just think it takes forever. But as you're climbing that ladder, as you're walking that road, every step of it, every rung of it is 
is exciting. And there are milestones along the way that are very joyful and you make friends and you make connections and all of those things really, really help make the length of the journey kind of, you don't even think about it because it's wonderful every step of the way. Have you started thinking about or writing a new novel beyond the one that just came out? Uh, I have. Uh, I have a novel that is going to be um, coming out in the spring of 2025, which is uh, another Star Wars novel. My last Star Wars novel, Light of the Jedi, was sort of the start of this big kind of multi-year publishing initiative that Lucasfilm has been doing, launching this new era in Star Wars called The High Republic. And and my my next novel, Trials of the Jedi, is the one that is going to close out that era for the time being or close off the big story that we've been telling anyway. So, so that is the thing I'm going to start working on in earnest in the fall, which seems awfully soon now that I think about it. Uh, and then I have my, my next novel after that, which I am very excited about too. Uh, the, the thing that I'm just completing now, so Endless Festival just came out this week and it's in stores now. I think it's really good. I think people should definitely check it out. I also wrote a companion novella to it called Chronicles of the Lazarine. It's actually a pretty long novella. It's, it's a bit novel length now, I think. Um, so it's called Chronicles of the Lazarine, and, and, and it is a, a sort of semi-sequel direct companion piece to Endless Vessel. So that is, I did a Kickstarter for it to get it out to the world that, that ran in April. Uh, so, so that is now done and is going to be going out to all those Kickstarter backers soon. And I'm I'm working on trying to figure out a way, the best way to to get that story to other to non Kickstarter backers too. So so there's that. And then and then once all that stuff is done, I know what my next novel is going to be, which will end up being I suppose my seventh. Uh, and that I don't anticipate starting to write until into you know end of 24, start of 25. Uh, but it's it's pretty wonderful to think that I have these opportunities that I'm I'm barring something really terrible happening i don't even know why i said that knock on wood barring some some real change of path for me i'm going to be writing novels for for years to come which which is a really wonderful thing to be able to say yep that's wonderful well what novels or comic books have you read recently that you enjoyed oh yeah that's a great question um i read a novel by rf kwong called bot babble that i really liked i thought that was really strong um it uh, is sort of speculative fiction based around translation and 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 a whole sort of magic system built in in Oxford in the 1800s based around the idea of translated languages. And I'm I'm a big language person, so it it I thought that was really excellent, excellent, excellent stuff. Um, also, I read recently that I really liked. Uh, There's a book called Ascendance that just came out that I really enjoyed. Um, I'm looking at my Audible account as we speak because I'm a, I'm a runner, and so. I listen to a lot of books while I run, which is right. fun. Um, oh, it's Sylvain Nouvelle is a writer that I'm, I'm friendly with and is, I think he's just incredible. He wrote a trilogy uh, called To the Stars, and the third book of that trilogy just came out called For the First Time Again, but I recommend anything he does. He, he has written, I think, six novels that are all, all really strong. Um, I just finished Ninth House by Lee Bardugo. Um, I don't know, so many. I, I, I'm I'm a pretty oh, The Mountain in the Sea by Ray Naylor was really good. Uh, the last Stephen King fairy tale was excellent. I, I'm a pretty voracious reader. I'm always reading stuff, and uh, I I would you know put my name on any of those books uh, as as you know endorsing them. They're all great. 
Well, where can people find you online if they want to learn more about you and your novels and comic books? Uh, well, the best way to find me is via my website, which is charlessoul.com, uh, just charlessoule.com. That also will give you a prompt to sign up to my newsletter, which is very low impact. It's free and it comes out about once a month, sometimes twice a month if there's a lot going on, but, but usually once a month. And it just gives you updates on everything I'm writing, tells you how to get my stuff, gives you updates on everything I'm, I'm sort of doing and running around and, and appearances and exclusive stuff and what have you. So I would say that's the best way, especially in this weird era for social media. But I also am very active on Twitter uh, under Charles Soul. I'm just, you know, my name is my handle. Same thing on Blue Sky. Uh, on Instagram, it's Charles D. Soul. So those are really the main spots uh, to find me. Again, I really recommend the newsletter. If you're, if this all sounds interesting, you want to follow up with more stuff, go to the website, you'll see it right away. Uh, but also if you kind of want dumb jokes and stupid pictures, you've got Instagram and Twitter and Blue Sky. Hey, well, again, we've been speaking to Charles Soul, author of the new novel, The Endless Vessel. The novel is available now, so go buy a copy. And Charles, thanks for doing this interview. Of course. Thanks for having me. Absolutely.